Hey there, welcome to the Book of Medora podcast, the podcast where we discuss the lore of the Legend of Zelda series. This is the final episode on Breath of the Wild. I'm calling it. Oh. I'm your host, Crystal, and with me is Monica. Hello. And Cameron. Hi. Last we left off, Link had just activated all seven, not all seven, all four of the Divine Beasts. Well, I mean, I, I would get those numbers confused, too. There's only four sages in this game. That's pretty uncommon. Only four sages? Where's the other three? Oh, I don't know. There Maybe that's why they couldn't beat Ganon. Maybe um, they've just, like, this is one of the ways in which they've abandoned the uh, symbology of the rest of the series for this. This is a hard reset. Well, technically, the, the monks are sages, so you, there's, like, a lot more sages like 120 or 30 more. 124 sages. Are you counting the Trial of the Sword? Not at the moment. Okay. So we got all of the Divine Beasts. Wait, uh-huh. how many sages are there including the Trial of the Sword? Shit. Okay, so the Trial this might the be s- divisible by seven. Because I was just thinking the same thing. Really? I was wondering if 124 is divisible by seven, and I was trying to do the math in my head. No, but 126 is. Okay, um... Okay, so there's 120, then there's the four divine beasts, then there is... The divine beasts aren't. No, but the, the the champions are the sage equivalents. That's what started this conversation. Let's not muddle the champions into it right now. Just go with the monks. Fuck off! Um, we'll work the champions in if it's not divisible by... Okay, goddammit. Right, exactly. <laughs> okay, so... How, the monks, mm-hmm. how many are in the Trial of the Sword? There's, seven. There's seven, one for each of the seven sages. Yes. Classical seven sages, except one of them also represents Zelda. So this isn't really an Ocarina of Time callback, except that they all make poses that the sages made when they give you their medallions. We'll get to that. All right. So 127 now, and then there's 128, or... No, when you do the... The champions ballad quest. There's there's four more shrines. Well, it's two shrines per champion, right? Oh, four on the plateau. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's eleven extra. Okay. And then there's one more, so that's twelve extra. One hundred and thirty-two is not divisible by seven. All right. Are you counting the? Are there other ones when you do the monuments? I don't know. You tell me. You were just looking at all this. What about oh. the seven heroines? <laughs> I think that there are actually ones in the monuments who give you, like, crests of the champions. Yes. So that's another eight. That's 140, I think. That's divisible by seven. That's super divisible by seven. <laughs> so that's 20 teams of seven sages. So each... Uh-huh. The monks are not sages, though. So seven monks are the equivalent, magically, as a sage. You mean 20 monks. Sure, whichever. Yeah. No, I don't buy this. (laughs) I think that that's probably a coincidence. I think that this game works in fours a lot more than it works in sevens. This is sort of a callback to the original game where the cardinal directions and the number eight were much more important than the later Link to the Past style jumping toward the number seven. Yeah, man, Link to the Past, the Metal Gear Solid of the series. It really is. I wonder how many of our listeners aren't familiar with Metal Gear games before Metal Gear Solid. Okay, so there was Metal Gear, then there was Metal Gear 2 Solid Snake, 
and then there's Metal Gear 3 Solid. But then that game was so popular that all the other games became known as Metal Gear Solid, even though the series is really Metal Gear. So there are two Metal Gear games, and then a bunch of spin-offs of the third game, Metal Gear Solid. And that basically kept going until Metal Gear Rising, right? Yes, Metal Gear Rising was the first non... Well, there's also Metal Gear Acid. Okay. There's Metal Gear Ghost Babel. Uh, what's the Portable Ops? Or is that Metal Gear Solid? Portable Ops is a canonical Metal Gear Solid game. Alas. But anyway, yeah, it's just like that. It used to be that the number four was the most... The number four and the number three were the most important Zelda numbers. But originally it was number four. Three was introduced in the second game, and seven was introduced in the third. But this is this game, in giving us four sages, really is taking us back to basics in terms of the symbols and symbolic language used throughout the series. And I appreciate that. Yeah, that makes sense. It's the it's the first non-spin-off Zelda since Zelda 2. So <laughs> the entire rest of the series between between Link's to the like everything between Link to the Past and Triforce Heroes is a Link to the Past spin-off all of Metal Gear Solid. Of course, yes. Wait, really? This has been the we've shifted from Megami Tensei to Shin Megami Tensei and everything since Link to the Past has been Persona. Now, well, no, that does that doesn't quite work. Mega Ten and Shin Mega Ten is a more clean comparison, although that is different because Megami Tensei was, I believe, a Namco game, ah, a Namcot game, as they were called at the time. Well, the original, like when Persona was first brought into the West, it was uh, marketed as Shin Megami Tensei Persona, right? Uh, it was marketed as Revelations Persona. They were trying to make Revelations the brand in the, the United States. Oh, why have I got that idea in my head then? Yeah, but uh, in Japan, I believe it was called Megami Ibunroku Persona, meaning, uh, I think, Alternative Tale of the Goddess. Oh. Kind of like A Link to the Past. <laughs> kind of like A Link to the Past. Anyway, it all comes back to A Link to the Past. God, Shin Megami Tensei is a title that could easily apply to the Zelda series. It really could, couldn't it? What's Tensei? Uh, Megami Tensei means goddess reincarnation. Oh, Or metempsychosis is the official translation. Cool. Yeah. It's real. (laughs) We're kind of going around in circles because there are a lot of game series that sort of do this, but Breath of the Wild taking us back to basics is something that we all enjoy. So we've got all the divine beasts. What else are the major things that we need to do? Well, we need to have the Blade of Evil's Bane. That's a good thing to have. Where is that, Monica? It's in the forest, as various people have told you. Oh, okay. You don't need the Master Sword. You sure don't. That's no, you... something. Yeah, I think that this is the first game since... Holy shit, it's the first game since the first one where the Master Sword or its equivalent exists, but is not necessary to beat the game with. That's what I'm talking about. So it's like even the Master Sword itself is not a vital part of the mechanics of this game. Though I do really like how it fits into the game world. Not just in terms of its lore, though it's very good for illustrating certain parts of the character that you play as and the world that he moves through. But also in terms of how you interact with the game's weapon economy. Mm. Because you can't break, break. It. That's part of it. Um, 
You break the weapon economy, not the sword. Well, uh, we'll, we'll get into that in a minute. So to get here, you have to travel your way through the Lost Woods, which are just to the west of the Death Mountain region, if I remember. And to do it, you follow the wind, basically. Uh, there's a sign that tells you to follow the sparks, and you're supposed to like carry a torch and follow the sparks as the wind blows it. But I didn't uh, read that sign, so what I did was I followed whichever way the grass was leaning, because it's the same thing. That works. And eventually you cut to the Korok Forest, which is where they live now. It's like the Kokiri Village, but it's just Koroks. Just like in Wind Waker, sort of. I love the Korok Forest. Yeah, I think everyone loves the Korok Forest. Especially the inn and the little Korok shops. (laughs) How there's just dozens and dozens of Koroks who watch you from the distance, but they're super shy. So if you get too close to them, they just disappear. I like how the Deku tree is like a cherry tree now. Oh yeah, he's got sakura blossoms flying everywhere. I think I mentioned it in a previous episode, but in the Making a Champion book, they theorized that the Deku tree was planted there to commemorate the pedestal or the Master Sword being put in. Uh-huh. Which, I don't know if that works or not, but that's that's cute. It is a cute idea. I don't know that we need to take anything in the Making of a Champion as being strictly... No. Com- no. It's, it's a cute a, idea, It's though. a cute idea. I like the idea that this is an ancient version of the Deku Tree who's been around long enough to see multiple versions of Ganon. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably definitely at least 10,000 years old. I I would agree with that, yeah. Who can plant a Deku Tree? The Deku Tree. Oh, okay. <laughs> so we just get like a seedling imported from somewhere else? Sure. Okay. Mm. I don't know about this one. I also like that the Koroks have decorated the inside of the Deku tree for Link specifically. When you go into it uh, and you speak to one of the shopkeeps, he's like, Hi, we made sure this place would be comfortable for you. And we made sure to check in with the Deku tree to make sure it was okay first. You see, we're technically inside the Deku tree's stomach. Don't think about it. He literally tells you not to think about it. I I have a hard time deciding if my favorite Korok is the... The innkeeper who assembles a bed of leaves just for Link and you set what time you want to wake up for based on if you wanted to say good morning or good evening. Uh-huh. Or the shopkeeper that thinks it's being helpful because it has gathered up one apple for you. Oh. I, I cried. Yeah, Monica loves the Koroks so much that the first time she talked to the little Koroks who put grabbed all these things, and every time you buy anything from them, they're like, thanks for help, letting me help you save Hyrule. <laughs> and they're so earnest. It just fucks Monica up. It fucks me up, too. Crystal, they're selling you one apple. Crystal, Just a apple. A uh-huh. apple. Not an apple. No. A apple. A apple. <laughs> I'm a really big fan of the Korok who tells you riddles. Because they have this really, like, they try to host themselves very seriously. And every time they start a riddle, they go, ho, ho, ho. (laughs) And it's riddles are not hard. No, they're not. And they always rhyme. The answer is always a rhyming word that he didn't, like, finish the sentence with. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, that's how it's a good riddle. It's a super good riddle. (laughs) It's very good. The one that just wants a picture of a bloopy. It just wants a picture, and then you show it, and it's like, wow, that's amazing. Do do you think that Bloopies made all the rupees in the world? It's very good childlike writing for a lot of these. Yeah. Anyway, they're very good. And the Master Sword's over there. And the Deku Tree, you talk to the Deku Tree a little while. He's like, hey, 
Let me tell you about when Zelda dropped this thing off here. And then you get to experience one of Zelda's memories. That's strange. It's the only memory from after Link is killed. It's strange to have a memory that's not from Link's perspective. I think this is one... Well, if she's carrying the sword, and the sword is like the soul of the hero personified, so... I can sort of see it, like leaving an imprint on the sword. Okay. It's the sword's memory, not Zelda's. Okay. Vi's whispering it in your ear. That works. And the Deku Tree warns you, and this is a mechanical thing that you need to be concerned about, that the Master Sword will test the person who wields it, and that if you are not strong enough to pull it, then you will surely die. And I think this is the first time that's ever been true of the Master Sword. Or at least the first time it's been mechanically represented. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, each of the previous links were just strong enough. Well, I mean, the difference with this particular version of the Master Sword is that it will actively drain your hearts until it drains enough health to break it free from the pedestal. And the magic number is 13. You need 13 hearts to get past it. Which is... Wait, is that the number that you needed for the Magic Sword in Legend of Zelda? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know that either. It was heart-based, though? Oh, it absolutely was, yes. Twelve was the magic sword. Ah, that's that's close enough that I'm going to consider that a reference. Like, you just need one more. But the fact that it... I think that Link is actually doing something very different here because he hasn't proven himself through trials in the same way that other Links do by the time he gets here, at least not necessarily. The only trials that he's undertaken that the designers know that you can undertake is going through the shrines the first four shrines yes the first four shrines and then potentially other shrines they can't rely on you having done any certain dungeons so what they've basically done is they've changed the way that the master sword works you don't just unlock it by being worthy because link can't prove his worthiness necessarily he's already failed So he has to pull it free by strength of heart alone, which is why it almost kills him. True. As worthy as he is. Now, I really like this sequence because the Koroks actually act out what will happen if you fuck it up and try to pull it with too few hearts. And one of them pretends to pull a stick out of the ground and then falls over and dies. And another Korok just cries over it a little bit. (laughs) It's very good. And this is the part where the Kokiri Forest theme from Ocarina of Time comes in as a refrain, and it fucks me up so hard I can't, like, I tear up every time I hear that shit. I'm going to put that in there. That might be the beginning of this episode. That's a good one. Yeah, I'll I'll get that transition just at the Kokiri Forest theme. Um, Now, we've purchased all the DLC here, right? Uh Uh-huh. Crystal, should we talk about the Trial of the Sword? Let's talk about the Trial of the Sword. Okay. So the basic idea behind the Trial of the Sword, and this is interesting because it implies a lot about what went on when the sword was put in the pedestal 10,100 years ago. The Deku Tree knows about the trial. Yeah, absolutely. The Deku Tree is not surprised by any of this. The monks call out to Link, wherever he is. They're like, hey, get over here and restore the power of the sword. So the idea behind it is that you return to the pedestal place the Master Sword into it, and through that you enter into a series of combat trials. You go in without any weaponry and without any armor, only the power within your own body, 
And with that, you are supposed to defeat a very great number of very difficult enemies. Well, increasingly difficult scenarios involving enemies. Do you think that the trial is taking place in Link's mind? Yes. He does warp when he puts down the Master Sword or puts the Master Sword into the pedestal. Yeah. But it's very much, to me, like the Skyward Sword Silent Trials. That's how it reads to me, too, actually. I was thinking about that while we were doing the Skyward Sword episode recording. Yes. Yeah. Because it is also activated by thrusting the Master Sword in. Yes. So, yes, I would agree that these trials are not strictly physical, and what it is doing instead is forging his spirit. Yep. The Deku Tree and the monks say as much. Uh, the Deku Tree says that you have to prove your wisdom and courage, after which the Master Sword shall truly be yours, even though it's... It's Link's already. Well, I mean, Link is rebuilding himself after having shattered a hundred years ago. The Link from a hundred years ago, he could use the Master Sword far more deftly than the Link who exists now. He was worthy of it in a way that this Link just isn't. This Link is broken and imperfect, and if he wants to wield it in a way that even resembles that man from the past then he has to prove himself within himself all over again. Once he's in the actual trial, the monks tell him that he has to fortify his mind, body, and soul by eradicating all obstacles. They also comment that it is an illusory realm with sacred mystery. And this is where I feel like it wasn't translated very well. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, and that after he returns to the reality he knows he won't take anything that he gets in there. So that's just to let you know that any of the food items or weapons that you pick up, they aren't coming out with you. Or all 50... All them ancient arrows. No, no, the... Um, oh, all that wood. All that wood. All yeah. that cooked wood. Yeah, no wood. Gotta this eat all like, the wood. This is like the Silent Realm. Yes, It's it precisely is. the Silent Realm. So there's three levels to this. Uh, they're supposed to be in increasing difficulty, and I think that if you play the Trial of the Sword in the normal mode, then it probably is increasing difficulty. But I played this damn thing in Master Mode, and that first one is probably the hardest. The Room with the Lizaphos. Uh-huh. I mean, that's a big part of it. It's not the biggest. There's a lot going on in this whole thing that's pretty nightmarish, but it's a pretty big part. Uh, the Hinox isn't very fun when you're, you know... Uh, to say nothing of all the different taluses. Fuck the taluses. Hope you kept those uh, elemental weapons and arrows. The talus did kill me, the frozen one. Yeah. The first time. Yeah, that thing's a nightmare. You gotta burn up your uh, fire weapons fighting it. I guess it's also because in the later ones you get more ancient arrows and armor. You get much more kitted out in terms of the weaponry that the enemies drop. And in master mode, it works like low level scaling in master mode is really difficult to get around you have to do a lot of sneak strikes to make your weapons go a lot further but once you get into the higher end and you're up against gold enemies but you have like enhanced royal weapons you're basically good that that lionel is an ass though uh there's two of them actually the one, final one no i think that the one that you fight by itself is pretty bad too that's called Ancient Arrow Fodder. No, I don't even do that one. You may remember I fought it regularly. You did. I did. Uh, but yeah, uh, there's three levels to the trial, and each time you finish, you are transported to this special room 
that is like the inside of an enormous cavern as big as all of the shrines that you've been through combined. And you go across these bridges that are suspended over nothing. To me, the the room, which is like a dome, is sort of like the room where you fight Ganon. Mm-hmm. First phase. Mm-hmm. There's... On the walls are glowing depictions of Hyrule with the Divine Beasts. Oh. You can see Death Mountain and, yeah, other telltale markers. Sure. And, yeah, you climb that stairway to nothingness and you're prompted to retrieve the Master Sword out and then you warp out. Yes. For th- and each time you complete one level of the trials, the power of the Master Sword claws its way back to being something approaching what it originally was. When you carry it around normally, the way that the Master Sword works is that in most situations, it does 30 damage, and it has relatively low, uh, what do you call it, durability. It it, It runs out of energy pretty fast, but it takes up a permanent slot in your inventory, and after a set amount of time, it will just recover. Now, if you take it into a situation which has malice involved, that is, into any of the Divine Beasts, into Hyrule Castle, or against any Guardian out in the world, then it will take on its true form, which has 60 power and something like between 180 and 200 hits of durability, which makes it by far the highest output weapon in the entire game. And it's reusable, so if you're using it in those situations, it's just the best. And it glows. And it glows, and it makes a big, loud pow sound whenever you hit things with it. Going through the trial is described as awakening the splendor of the Master Sword. Sure. Do you like splendor or the sparkle? (laughs) I like splendor better than sparkle, I guess. What do you like better, Crystal? I like splendor. Yeah, it's a good word. So the first time you beat it, it goes from 30 power to 40 power. Though, if I remember, it doesn't gain any extra durability until it's fully awoken. And then after the second one, it goes from 40 to 50. And in the finale, it goes from 50 to 60. Now, it will still run out of power. But as of now, it is always at full power. Which means that if you do like I did and get it as early as possible, it completely wrecks the economy of the weaponry throughout the game, regardless of what difficulty you're playing on. But I do want to talk just for a second, because we've avoided talking about it throughout this entire thing, about the game's weapon economy and how the Master Sword fits into it specifically. Now, a lot of our listeners will know, but some won't, that the weapons in Breath of the Wild break. That's not really a very big problem, because enemies tend to drop weapons that can take more health than the other enemies have. So it's very rare that you'll run wade into an exchange and end up spending more weapon damage than you take away enemy health or get back from the weapons that enemies drop. And I've never run out of weapons. Oh, no, no, no. Even in master mode, once you get off the Great Plateau, it's often better to engage with enemies, especially when you're willing to use arrows and shoot them in the head and use bombs and whatnot. But... That's how the basics of it works. You take a weapon, you fight an enemy, you get their weapon, and generally speaking, you come out with better armed than you went into the fight. Not to mention all the spoils and treasure you pick up. There's one type of enemy that breaks this utterly, and that is the Guardians. 
The Guardians, as we've mentioned, are the autonomous robotic soldiers built by the Sheikah and controlled now by Ganon, who move over Hyrule Field and shoot you with lasers. They have more health than any non-Lionel enemy in the game. They have legs that have their own health bars. They're extremely fast. And more, they do not drop weapons. So unless you are willing to take them out with a well-placed ancient arrow for a one-shot, then you're going to be spending a lot of weapon durability breaking them with absolutely no reward for doing so. Unless you get really good at shield parry. Unless you get... Well, I just mean if you want to use your weapons on them. Okay. What the Master Sword does is it acts as a sort of key that allows you to get past the Guardians because it automatically powers up to its highest tier when you're fighting Guardians, regardless of whether or not you do the Trial of the Sword. It lasts for 200 hits, does 60 damage per hit. It can take down a ton of Guardians before it runs out of energy. And that's what it really is. The Master Sword is the thing that is there to help players get through a swarm of Guardians, like those around Hyrule Castle, without having to worry about breaking all their weapons. And that's probably the best mechanical use of the Master Sword that this series has ever had. Because it's not strictly necessary, but it is the biggest quality of life improvement that any sword upgrade has ever given you. And I like it a lot. And it makes it possible, or much easier, to traverse the Hyrule Castle. Yes, absolutely. I like, but I also hate how the Master Sword doesn't activate when you fight Shrine Guardians, because they aren't infected with malice. Yep. It's a nice touch, but every time I draw it out the sword, I'm like, ah. Ah. I should have done the Trial of the Sword before coming in here. Well, that came out like a year after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was pretty much done the game then. Yeah, that's fair. Me too. Well, I played the Master Mode after, so that was fun. But, uh, yeah, the other thing is that even though you restore the Master Sword to its full splendor, it's still not as good as it was 100 years ago. It still runs out of energy every 180 to 200 hits. And then you still have to wait for it to recover. And I think that the reason that it works this way, not mechanically speaking, there's lots of reasons that it works that way mechanically, but in terms of the narrative is that Link is as close as he's ever going to get to being worthy and powerful in the way that he was before, but he's still not there, and he can't get there again. He's fundamentally wounded. That's pretty cool. What do you think of that reading, Crystal? Yes, I like very much that Link is uh, permanently permanently scarred by the experience of being killed by a guardian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That he can, he can never get back to where he was, but he can get pretty good. He can get good enough to fight. He's already terrifying. Yeah, this version of Link is pretty scary. But yeah, I, I, that just that idea that the wounds carry forward, that's real good. So, the, yeah, the final room or the final accomplishment of the Trial of the Sword is walking up in that dome area. And there are seven monks seated in a semicircle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a very wide, um, sealed, blue, glowy thing. You can turn around and look at them. Yeah. And yes, they are all posed like how the Ocarina of Time sages were in Sealing Ganon. Yes. And also when they were giving you the medallions. Oh, yes. Their little hand. Yeah, they make the hand motions that those sages made 
uh, 20 years prior. And it's a pretty cool little send up. And they identify themselves as the ones who prepared the trial following a revelation from the goddess Hylia. Which I guess all the monks did, but that's just always a really cool thing to think of. Like, all of a sudden they go, (gasps) The hero! Seal ourselves up for 10,000 years. Yeah. That's crazy. Monks, man. Yeah. And they, you know, mention that Link now has the power necessary to combat the calamity. Um, with the Awakened Master Sword now boasting its true splendor, um, Link is to protect the kingdom of Hyrule for now and for always. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And for this last one, when you pick up the Master Sword, you don't warp. You don't actually see Link warp. He picks it up and raises it high and he just reappears or, you know, the scene cuts to him raising it in front of the Deku tree. It's like he's waking up. It's like it's waking up, so it, I think, you know, even though you were warping with all the other previous ones, this just shows that this was a mental battle. It's a good visual indicator that it was all taking place inside of him. Yes, and the the sword does his big thrumming yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, sound, and Link shuts his eyes and he can hear Fi. Oh, do, do we get another yeah, one Yeah, you get a little Fi... Blink, blink. Oh, that's nice. Oh, he can hear the voice within the sword again. That's nice. That is nice. That's nice. We never know what she says to him, though. Good job, Link. Good job, Link. Thanks for buying the DLC. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Link doesn't seem surprised, though. You he... make a joke about thanks for buying the DLC, but if they had made more DLC for that game, we would have bought all of it twice. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's, well, that's I'm, it. I'm sure that's... Nintendo's grateful. Yeah, probably. Not grateful enough. I wanted more. I wanted Crystal's version of what the Champions Ballad was going to be. Everybody wanted that. Well, you know, the idea of what a video game is is always better than what it is. I guess. Well! Mm-hmm. Quite often. 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 What's a, what's a counterexample? Well, I mean, when you say that the idea of a game is always better than the actual game, mm-hmm. I think that that might be true in the moment of experience, but... As the game becomes part of your memory, I think the memory of a game can be just as strong as the anticipation of it. I see. My direct example is Fire Emblem. Yes, Fire Emblem. GBA. Fire Emblem's a very good uh, example of this. I thought that the first ten chapters were the entire game. Yeah, wasn't it your cousin who told you? It was no, a short it was a game? friend. A friend? It was who- a short game. Short ten-level game. He didn't say 10 level. I just interpreted, well, it's clearly this arc. Yeah, they actually the roll credits. It's after Lindis's opening chapters that serve as the prologue. They do roll credits. Uh-huh. And then it's like, now you can play the rest of the game. And Monica's like, this isn't what I signed up for. It was a much longer game than I thought. It was much better, though. Eh, but yeah. Yeah. But there's also like addition- like way more additional content than I expect. Like supports. Yeah. And the whole thing with the bad guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good game. But the, the but what you're saying, Crystal, especially with regards to the Champion's Ballad, is that the ideas that people had for it, Nintendo wasn't going to be able to live up to them. No, of course not. Would you mind telling our listeners the idea that you had for the Champion's Ballad? Well, now, I had a number of ideas. Which one are you referring to? I'm referring to the one where you thought we'd play as the Champions. Yeah, that's what I wanted. I wanted to have a little, little like, one to two hour sequence with each Champion. So it'd be like a Majora's Mask thing where they just like come up with these whole things 
And maybe after you were done with the DLC, you could move through the whole world in the shape of whatever champion you wanted. Wait, was this set in the present like it was literally a Majora's Mask situation or was it a flashback? I would imagine it as them them fighting the Ganons and some Guardians Mm. in a flashback. That would be pretty cool. Though, actually, now that I've said that, I really like the Majora's Mask idea. Maybe in a future game. I mean, it's a lot to take care of, but they have, now that they've figured out how to make games like Breath of the Wild, I expect future games made in this vein to be much more expansive in terms of what they do mechanically, similar to the move from Ocarina of Time to Majora's Mask. Or Ocarina of Time to the entire 3D rest of the series. So the Champion's Ballad starts off with Zelda contacting Link. Oh yeah. Not the monks. Not the monks. It's Zelda time, son. Um, And this only happens once you have freed all of the Divine Beasts. Very important. And she tells you to return to the Shrine of Resurrection. Hurry up. And uh, put the slate back into the terminal, which is a really confusing instruction. Yeah, it's like, why am I doing this, girl? Uh, You confusedly head over there, perhaps find the Korok on the Resurrection bed thing. Ah, Ah-ha-ha! And you put your slate in, and the computer system performs a slate and champion verification which is interesting yes and and starts the divine beast tamers trial so it lets you know immediately that what link is doing is he's preparing himself to obtain his own divine beast yep good and you get four blips on the map all on the plateau and to the right of where you've set down the slate warps in the one-hit obliterator. Yes. Which is a, I'm not going to say giant tuning fork. It's a big-ass tuning fork. It's a big-ass tuning it fork. It also looks sort of like a candelabra. Yeah, but the heads of the the fork are like the divine beasts. Right. Which is cool. And this is where you're greeted by Monk Maz Keshia. Koshia? I don't know. You wrote it down. I can't tell Koshia? if this is an E or an O. Or is an it Koshia? Yeah, it's probably Koshia. Uh. And um, he comments that as you are the one who wants to master a divine beast, you have to go around with this one-hit obliterator who that um, once Link picks it up, he loses everything but a quarter heart. It's like it drains all of his vitality into itself to fuel the act of doing like a million HP per hit. And you can use the obliterator twice in about like a 30 second window. It takes about five seconds for one charge to recover. If you use both charges, then it'll take longer to come back. But you can use it really rapidly if you don't use both charges. Okay, but Link also will die in one hit. Yeah, so that's it's a two-way street. You're playing... Um, this is Breath of the Wild on Heaven or Hell mode. Also, you can still pick up bows and arrows and snipe enemies, which if you don't want to engage with this really dangerous mode of play, just shoot them in the head. Yeah, that's that's great. That's how Monica do it. I prefer the Italian... Was it? No, not the Italian. The it Spanish, Spanish version of the one-hit obliterator's name, which is just the Divine Annihilator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a lot cooler. That's a real shit. And you go around and you do, you beat these nests of monsters, but you also beat these shrines. Every time you destroy every member of a nest of monsters, a shrine pops up. Uh-huh. 
And each of these four shrines, because there's four of them, this is a game built on fours. Four is the death number. Um, yes. And each of these shrines is much more dangerous than the shrines that you're used to going through. One of them is just bristling with spikes that move constantly, and you have to build yourself little bridges to get over it. It's really funny because you could forget that you only have a quarter heart and just die. Some people get real salty about how difficult this part is. Because it is genuinely difficult, though it was sold to us as being more difficult than the main game. Crystal, we've talked before about the idea of whether or not 3D Zeldas need to be more difficult than they are, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And I think, generally speaking, you would like them to be more difficult on the main. Uh, I would like, certainly, at least difficulty options. I think that a lot of the reaction to the shrines in this segment in particular um, suggests to me that we're definitely not going to get that kind of enhanced difficulty as the default because the average Zelda player doesn't like to be challenged that fucking much. Not in that specific way where you can die over and over. And it's hard to say that it's losing progress too because it saves every like two seconds. Oh, sure. You never really lose more. Not in Master Mode it doesn't. Sure doesn't. You don't get a you don't get an auto save in master mode that no? I really remember. It not very often. You gotta save manually. Oh. Weird. Well just save. Save all the time. But Actually you, you really don't lose much progress. There might be something weird about saving in this sequence, like in the like in the Yiga Fortress. I can't remember. I don't think so. If you try to warp away, the obliterator just leaves you. Anyway, you gotta go around, kill a bunch of bacoblins and moblins, and do four shrines, which are pretty tough. And what is it that they give you in the shrines? I don't know. You don't know. I didn't write that down. You just watched this. I I had you to just skip around. It. All right. Because I, in the interest of fitting everything they, before they give you like recording. a key like part of a key for your spirit to make you worthy of a, taking the trials to get your divine beast you know i'm not sure what but it gives you no i think it's just highly a crest because you get an ad- additional heart thing uh, right okay Through this yeah, yeah. you get one more heart or energy thing right okay yeah, yeah this is the these are the shrines where you actually do get your uh, spirit orbs so at the end of this, you're only forever in a two-heart deficit. Or two chunks. of, But no, it's a two-heart deficit. Yes. Nobody needs 30 hearts or whatever it is. This is the only game in the Zelda series where Monica has been okay with having less than maximum hearts because we generally prefer having maximum stamina. Well, the two gaps in the heart row are a lot less terrible than the broken circles and it's more you can fill in those last two hearts with extra food but you can't cleanly fill in the gap for your stamina with food enhancements it still bothers me though of course it's just not as bad as doing the stamina thing see this is why i thought there was a very real chance we would get more dlc that we would just get the chance to get those last two hearts they lied to us they lied to us so you get all of it and the guy like all right you did real good. You should now go out into the world and visit these areas. Well, the the mm-hmm. now Cameron does does not getting all the hearts slash stamina not fit with the theme of Link never fully recovering to his previous <laughs> states. I think it does fit. It's it's some of that ludo narrative assonance. Yes, ludo narrative assonance. Yes. Do you th- think that? They can't give us those last two hearts. 
No, it'd be again. The link would be too strong. Too strong. All right, I buy that. No, what they should do is just give you three more hearts and then push oh. you into a new row. That's the worst. Uh, oh. <laughs> Hold on, I know this is extremely off-topic. I just want to post an image in the Skype chat. This, please edit this out. All right, we're back in. Sorry. It's That's okay, good. thank you for we'll, sharing. We'll, we'll talk about uh, more endgame spoilers after the podcast. It's a very good picture. I will fight people about I'm going to have to bleep that, but you know what? I think that they'll appreciate it. Yeah. Well. Okay. Well, we're going to come back to this okay. after the podcast. That that's this is this is me, friends. This is me working to protect you from spoilers for a movie that you've definitely already seen. But no, you you have to bleep out thing too. The I have. Word to... Is already stop a it. <laughs> what? Jesus! I know how to get around spoilers. Okay. It's scorched Earth. So the tuning fork is your guide. And it splits into four glowing orbs uh-huh. that rocket out into the world. And wherever the light lands, a, a what they call monument raises up. It's like an obelisk. Like a tri- tri- triad of obelisks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. And the monk's like, yeah, go there. <laughs> Any of them, really. Go to them in order. And Link goes there and casts at each one. He's like, hey, I'm writing a song. About the champions. I'm going to call it The Ballad of the Champions. Champions Ballad? One of those. I'm still workshopping. And we did touch upon this during our chronological talk of what happened prior to Breath of the Wild. Every ordeal that Link goes through is what the champions had to do. Every ordeal that Link goes through in the Champions Ballad DLC. Thank you. After the Great Plateau and before the final trial. Right now, the ones that we are discussing. Yes, we just have to cut out the ambiguity. Okay. They are the same trials that each of the champions faced. Which raises a lot of interesting questions about how they did some of this shit. Because some of these trials, not so bad. Some of the others, Mifa, how'd you do that? Did you write down what the trials are? No. Oh, Good. We talked about them already. We did actually talk about them already, yeah. How are you going to fight three flying guardians with a spear? Mifa figured it out. Very carefully. Very carefully. Potentially arrows. And these trials are also like the best indicator that when the champions fought the Blights, they weren't armed. Because if they had been armed, they clearly would have whooped those things' asses. We're getting there. We're getting there. Are we? Each of... The trials that you complete, you get a an icon for the... Sorry. Don't look at me. You just looked at this. You get emblems. Yeah. Like Rudania's emblem or whatever. Sure. And after four of them, you go back to the respective divine beast, and then you fight a memory version of that blight. Right. And Link is... Armed, armed very specifically for each battle. When you go in to face the water blight Ganon, for instance, you're given a bow, ten arrows, and I believe it is both the replica trident and the light scale trident. Uh-huh. When you face and a fish. 
Huh? And a fish. And a fish? You can eat the fish. Okay, sure. I don't remember that part very well. I, I didn't lose those fights because of the running out of health. I just thought it was funny that you had a fish. Uh, when you face the Fire Blight Ganon, you get actually a couple of different things. But the chief thing is that you have the Boulder Breaker. And that just destroys the Fire Blight. You barely need anything else. Uh, you get the Scimitar of the Seven and the... Is it Daybreaker? Uh-huh. When you face the Thunder Blight. And you also get a separate sword and shield. Uh, I think the shield is made of wood to make it a little bit easier. And when you face the Wind Blight, you get uh, the... Bow, what, what's the name of his bow? Just Rivali's bow? Do you actually get Rivali's bow? You sh- I... Why would you get everyone else's special weapon but not Rivali's? Because Rivali's a tryhard. Okay, anyway, you get Rivali's bow and some bomb arrows, and even in master mode, you just take this thing to fucking pieces. It's horrible. The something, I think either the monk or, yeah, I think it's the monk, remarks that this is to alleviate Link's concern or anxiety about, I didn't write down the exact line, about being faced with a similar situation. I feel like this is a translation problem. Mm-hmm. Because if it's about his... F- I, I read these as being about not his fear of whether he could overcome the same trials they did. But his regret about what they went through. Mm-hmm. This isn't so much about how he would have done in their situation. It's what if he had been there for them. Or what if they had gone in there fully equipped? Yes, that is also a thing. How do you read these, Monica? Do you read these as being Link trying to fight his way out in the same situation that the champions were in? Wait, did you, you mean you to gotta, ask Crystal? No, I'm asking you first, because oh. Crystal hasn't played this damn thing. I'll ask her after. How do I take... Yeah, well, how do you see the couching of these battles? These memory battles? Originally, I was thinking that... I forgot that the champion's weapons were in them. And so I thought it was like Link being able to do, you know, better than they fared given the same output. But clearly, but clearly they, they didn't have these weapons. At least based on where we find those weapons and a few other factors. Yeah. So, no, he's coming to peace with the fact that they weren't fully um, powered. That they... Or and that if they, yeah, and if they had them, they would have beaten them. What do you think, Crystal? As to why Link has the champion's weapons? Or what the whole thing about this is. Because he's going through imaginary versions of these battles inside of his head. And it's part of the process that he goes through to unlock the ability to control a divine beast. Hmm. I think Link is spiritually linked to the other champions. God damn it. <laughs> and that he is uh you know, ghosts are here because they they have some connection to the world, they cannot move on. Mm-hmm. That's the definition of a ghost. Yep. And Link, as a living person, is processing their regrets in the silent realm uh-huh. and helping them to move on. That's an interesting thought. Now, Crystal, if you ever do end up playing um, the Champions Ballad DLC, I do recommend doing each of these fights several times. Because each time you do it, you get unique spoken dialogue from the champion corresponding to the fight that you've done. Yeah. Mm. And there's something like 
10 unique exchanges for each of them. It's a lot of recorded dialogue, far more than they had in the games proper. It's nothing earth-shattering. No, but it's like character-building stuff. Yeah. It's half-decent. Mifa's like, don't read my diary. <laughs> don't, you motherfucker. Yeah. And do you like remember oops. when we fought that Lionel together? And Link's like, uh, yeah. <laughs> or no. No, no. And this is where Urbosa confirms that Link had to, you know, do the exact same thing to get into Gerudo Town. Yep. Yep. Is that the only thing that Urbosa said that you remember? Uh. It is, isn't it? Yeah, That's why you brought much. it up. Well, no, but, like, that's a concrete new thing. Yeah. I don't remember what Daruk says. So, they don't just want you to... The champions don't just want you to process their grief once. They're like, yeah, I wanna... I wanna (laughs) beat Ganon ten times. Sure. To get to process this. Uh, See, the way that I see it is that when Link is doing all of this, it's... I imagine it as being a, an externalization of a person who's basically having nightmares over and over about these people that he knows he cared about and they died suffering. So this is him like working through his nightmares, like oh. going through Moonside and Earthbound. Mm. And it's like they're not being helped by him. The reasons that they have these conversations with him afterward is just to like bring him back down to earth a little bit yeah and and that kind of translates into how we go through it too because we just keep coming back to it over and over and over and over either to hear them talk to us or because we like doing these battles in these specific ways but it's like that synthesis between how the narrative works and how the gameplay works and how we approach that gameplay and the the first time you beat those blights or shadow blights or whatever they are um, you get to speak to Cass again. He finishes that part of their ballad. Yeah. And you get a memory from the champion and or Zelda's perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a Zelda champion memory. It's very nice. There's no explaining your way out of this one. No, not I guess at all. Doesn't... Link has attuned himself to the, the champion. champion. The, the DLC also unlocks diaries for each of the champions. You get to read their diaries. There's a lot of characterization for each of these champions in here, actually. Yeah. It was really more than I expected from Nintendo, which was nothing. Yeah, Monica and I were kind of opposite of Crystal with regards to how we expected this to go. Our hopes were relatively low, and we tried to keep them low. So we were pleasantly surprised when we got some diaries to read through. Anyway, after you complete all four, um, you are told to go back to the shrine. Let me just flip to the page. What shrine are you talking about? Of resurrection. Oh, that one. For one final trial. Oh, yeah. Because it turns out that the pedestal that you got the Sheikah Slate off of originally is the control panel for an elevator. The room is an elevator. And you ride the elevator down a long way. And it it is a, a giant dungeon. It or is, shrine. It is a four-sectioned dungeon that each section, if I remember, plays differently according to the order that you play it in. Uh, isn't it the case that if you go into a certain room in a certain order, there's actually a flying guardian in there? I don't know. Something I have not like encountered that. that. Something wild like that. I mean, there is a flying guardian in there. But... Most people will agree 
playing through this that this is the best puzzle box style dungeon in the Breath of the Wild. Not just because it has a very strong synthesis of all of the puzzle solving elements. You have to use all of your tools to get through this. But also in that it's just really fun and difficult and a head scratcher and it's just long enough. And it feels like you're going through a much more interesting version of the Divine Beasts in a way. Only and the, the music is great. And the music is really good. The only thing is, um, you're not going through a divine beast, as you learn a little bit later. This is a factory. Is it a factory? Well, it's sure not the divine beast, and it has. Oh, all it's not the divine beast. It, yeah, I know. And it, oh, I see. And it okay. has all these giant moving machine parts, and it's clear that something is being done here, and that you, in setting these giant gears into motion and making these machine parts connect to each other and setting the whole thing to moving. It seems like you're actually activating the manufacturing process. <laughs> I didn't. This did not occur to me. Now, that's how it seems to me. To me, it was just unlocking a giant safe door. Well, regardless. That's cute. You go through this safe door, and there's a monk there. I mean, he's like, good job. There's one last trial for you. And then his finger twitches. And then Cameron loses his <laughs> fucking mind. <laughs> I played this part first. and I was not present. I was just so happy. To know that I would watch Cam's reactions because if you ever get the chance to, seeing his live reactions is really great. He gets very, very hype. Monica likes to see hype shit before I see it so that she can watch my reaction to the hype shit. Yeah, I, I can anticipate your hype, your yeah. reactions. This is a good habit. <laughs> yes. You like that? Yeah. Maybe you should watch the Godzilla movie before me then. Um, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then you can watch the Godzilla movie twice. I know which parts. Godzilla is very good at telegraphing which parts are hype. Yeah, well, yeah. Whoa, 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 you start whoa, whoa, cheering whoa, whoa. in the theater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, screaming. I don't, like, Endgame is a good movie. I do not give one wit about Endgame compared to that new Godzilla movie coming out. I'm so ready for that shit. I like in the trailer when they're like, so, you're going to make Godzilla our pet? And he's like, no. We would be his. Yeah! That's exactly my shit! Oh. So his finger twitches and some like dust falls off. Yeah, so it's like part he's, of his finger. he's literally knocking the rust off. And then he gets up. Yes. And he takes like this very cool mystic martial arts stance. And he's like, the trial begins now. Yeah. And then you get warped out onto the top of this floating UFO factory, which looks like the fucking UFO from the concept art. Yeah, through this whole thing, this this dome, this circular thing is is punted up, and it's hovering above Hyrule. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're, you're warped there, the monk warps you there. And it's Maz Kosia. The monk, Maz Kosia. And then you have... This is the best song. It's... Are you really not going to use this song for the intro? Okay, I guess, like, I... I don't know. Uh, it's hard. If we were doing another... Do you know how much good music is in, like, we... There's another sequence we have to talk about after this. And then there's everything to do with Hyrule Castle. Uh-huh. There is so much good music yeah, in Hyrule Castle. There's a lot Castle. of good music. Shit. Anyway, you fight the monk, and this is the part where you're like, oh my goodness, the Yiga... And the Sheikah fight alike. The funny thing about this, one, uh, Maz Cassia is the best 
boss fight in the game, and I don't think that anyone would ever disagree with that. He's sort of like a more extreme, fleshed-out version of the Koga fight that isn't treated as a joke. Yeah. He has a ancient dagger, like a glowing Sheikah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He's got the real shit. And he can teleport in giant metal balls. And he and flings he them. himself a he, bunch of times. He flings them around with Magnesis. Yes. He can use Sheikah magic to turn into a giant. Yeah, it, it it's like a warping sort of yeah. animation too. But, yep. And he can try to stomp you. He can, like, change the battle arena so that things move around differently. He can... Sh- tilt the entire thing he can he could do the shadow clone no jutsu and just turn into like 45 <laughs> copies of himself uh-huh. and you better hope you have Arbosa's fury in the tank otherwise you're about to have a problem he is also he can be distracted by bananas he sure can now we haven't talked about <laughs> this before i mean we sort of have the yiga are really distracted by bananas that's a thing that you do in the Yiga Fortress. You throw out bananas and the berserkers will walk over there. They'll be like, ooh, banana. And they'll like tuck it in their back pocket and be like, ah, nobody saw me get that banana. That is not what the monk does. The monk is like, oh, banana. And yeah, he sits down and eats it. Yeah. It's great. It's a much more um, intense distraction for the monk. I think it only happens once, though. After he eats the banana, he's he's satisfied. Yeah, he's like, I only needed that banana. <laughs> well, it's a whole bunch of bananas. He just ate five of them. He ain't had much food. He's not used to putting more on his stomach. Why do they like bananas so much? It's just a thing, and it's funny. That's the whole. That's the whole bit. I guess. Anyway, it's a very intense, very cool fight. And after you beat him, he's like, "You, the real one, son." <laughs> Maybe not in those words, but sure. And the whole stadium shifts, and the center part opens, and you realize that the entire dome thing is just a glorified bike stand, because out pops the final divine beast, the Master Cycle Zero. Yeah! Now, there's actually a bit of backstory behind the Master Cycle Zero from a development standpoint, and that's that Aonuma, who was not the director of this game, though I believe he was a producer wanted to put a motorcycle into the game. And over and over, the peop- the actual people working on the game, they were like, no, we no, we can't do that. That One, it ruins everything to do with the horses. Two, it doesn't make sense with the state of the world as it is. And he just kept bringing this up over and over for years and kept getting shot down. And it's interesting that Alnima is in a state where he can get shot down. But I mean, a, a motorcycle in this sort of game is kind of crazy. Yeah, of course. And then they come up with a DLC, and they're sitting around like, okay, we need to come up with something special to give the players when they're finished with the Champion's Ballad DLC. And you just imagine Alnima kind of like sliding into frame, like, hey, now? And they're like, oh, fine, now. Um, Mascosia says it's a masterpiece of innovation created for the one true hero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The good shit. So then you get your motorbike. Which you can fuel up by by offering it materials and a little slot will open and you dump it in. Probably the most efficient way to do it is with apples, which is not that surprising. And uh, let's see. Is that is that everything? <laughs> it's it's a rune. It's a rune so you can call it with your slate. That that really is a pinnacle of innovation, I suppose. Yes. Are we uh, is that everything? 
Um, no, you are warped over to Cass, and he plays his final ballad, and Link gets his memory of that inauguration day, and finally it, it ends with uh, Cass wishing peace on the souls of the champions, or rest. Yes. And Zelda's like, hey, <laughs> good job. Good job. Good job, I think he can beat Ganon now. Go beat the game. And we're like, yes, Zelda, we already did that a year ago. Oh. But but we'll do it again. Of course. Who's the last person that we sent to Terrytown? Oh. Was it Pellison? Pellison is the Rito. The Gorin. Oh. Oh, no, we sent that Rito shit kid over too, didn't we? No, wait, that's not the order that it goes in. It goes Pellison. Then, then the Gerudo. Then Ronson with mm-hmm. the Gerudo. I don't think we mentioned Ronson, actually. And then we need to go get that shit kid from the Rito. And later... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about this real quick. Okay. Crystal, mm-hmm. talk me through Terrytown. Okay, well, we talked about Grayson and Pelson, the Gorin brothers. They need to, they need to build the houses because they're good at it. And break the and rocks. They're good at mining ore. Then you go get Ronson, who is a Gerudo woman, and she can make some clothes. I guess everybody's tearing you... up their clothes, so yeah, make more. Then you get Fison of the Rito who's a shopkeep, because you have to have commerce in Terrytown. And then finally, it turns out that Ronson and the founder of Terrytown, who is named... What's his name? Hudson? Hudson. Hudson. Hudson and Ronson have fallen in love, and they would like to get married. Of course, you can't just get married. You have to have a proper priest to marry them. And the priest must have their name and in son, because it's the company rules. So you recruit Capson from Zora's Domain, who is a Zora that used to marry lots of people and just wishes that he could do it one last time. I like how there's another Zora in town, a soldier, also something son. And she's like, no. I'm not. I can't marry people. Go ask someone else. No, those guys, those guys are not employees of the company. They are just uh, family members of the employees. Yeah. So... Then you have a big... Uh, the, Ronson and Hudson get married, you say? Yeah, they have an official ceremony. Where Ronson and Hudson both agree that all of their children's names will end in son. <laughs> As is the company policy, yes. <laughs> She's a little bit bothered by this initially. <laughs> she didn't sign up for it. Wouldn't you be bothered by it? Uh, yes, I'm absolutely. very bothered by it. But she's just in love with this weird, stinky, mushroom-shaped man. This- Per, this two-word person, but he's very charming. Is he? This yeah. weird, stinky, mushroom-shaped he's man? He's not stinky. She specifically mentions that his clothes reek. Oh, okay, he's stinky. Nothing wrong with that, I guess. Yeah, fair enough. But everybody kind of laughs it off. It's played very seriously and then not seriously. It feels like a weird 90s rom-com ending. And then there's a marriage. Good job. I like her wedding dress because she has a, a long veil, but her dress still uh, has an extended open midriff so she could show off her abs. Which are just rock hard. Yeah, gotta gotta show off your, your abs. She, she turns around, she starts grinding salt on them. <laughs> what? Now, the interesting implication here is that all of these people uh, worship Hylia. Yes. Because the marriage vows are... Let me pull up the text. Before the eyes of these witnesses and before those of goddess Helia, do you take Hudson as your lawfully wedded husband in sickness and in health? Yeah. 
This is interesting for Ronson in particular because Hylia worship has fallen out of favor among the Gerudo. But, but clearly in, the Zora are very devout on regarding Hylia. But when in Rome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's the name of the Zora priest, Crystal? Zora priest's names. Was it Capson? Capson. Yes, Capson with a K. Okay, so Capson. Um, the interesting thing is that Capson, after he's done marrying these two, starts running the Terrytown Inn. And anytime uh, you stay at the Terrytown Inn, he basically blesses you in the name of Hylia. So he's, he's one of he's one of those priests. He also doesn't charge you for the inn. That's nice. That's not well. Yeah, you did build the town. I thought that was more like he's a devout guy and he's just running this in for the good of the community. Oh, so it's more like a church. Yeah. Or a temple. Mm. You don't have to pay anything, but you can make offerings if you want. And Link has no idea how to do that, so he doesn't. <laughs> he's making an offering of his life. Yeah, he does it a lot. It's true. Now we can go to Hyrule Castle. Aren't we going to help the monster girl? <laughs> The rich guy is such a dick. I hate the fucking rich guy. Okay, sure, sure. Once you finish building Terrytown, the whole thing really expands. Lots of new families move into it. There's this really cute older couple who are just retired and want to move to Akala because it's relatively close to where their children are. And there's this... uh, Actually, Robbie's son moves in. Uh, He's done researching all of his armor stuff, and he has a whole bunch of sets of really rare armor. And the master, I mean, not the master, in the shield. The Hylian shield, if you have broken the Hylian shield, he'll have a spare for 3,000 rupees. But the armor that he carries includes armor that you can only get in shrines, like the climbing set, and the berserk armor, and the rubber set. There's a lot that he can sell you. And then there's the rich people who move into town, and there goes the fucking neighborhood. (laughs) They gentrified Terrytown. Oh no. It's literally impossible to gentrify Terrytown, but this motherfucker is trying his hardest. Um, so... The rich family is made up of three members, and the mom's okay. The kid's a shit kid. The dad is, uh, if I could powerbomb him off the side of Terrytown and into the lake below, I would. His quest is just he's bored and he wants to see you wreck a guardian or three. He wants to watch you kill two guardians, which are in the direction that he's looking, but like six kilometers away and he'll just sit back on Terrytown while you go have that fight and you go and you kill the guardians and you come back and he's like good show there boy and then he gives you 20 rupees oh yeah he gives you 20 motherfucking rupees for killing two guardians and you can't finagle more money out of him 10 rupees per guardian he's just a dick I don't know that I would want to go through this if I'm only going to get two blue rupees a guardian (laughs) This reminds me of the story that Rob Zachney once told where he recovered like a $6,000 watch while working at a golf course and thought about keeping it and pawning it, but gave it back and got tipped a nice crisp $5 bill. I have to admit, um, if you find a $6,000 watch and it doesn't have in memoriam on the back of it, then, you know... You're probably, like, morally obligated to profit from it so that the person who actually owns it can't. Book of a door.
No, I agree. Yeah, I'm <laughs> saying like I like fuck the rich. Um. So anyway, this guy and you do that, and he's like, okay, well, I guess I'm moderately less bored now. But I don't need to see you anymore, so be on your way. I have no time for the plebeians. And it's revealed if you listen in out of his window. You don't even have to do that first. The first indication that you have about it is talking to the nosy old granny. The very nice old granny. She's very nice, and she's very nosy. And she mentions that her husband heard something that indicates there may be some trouble. And you go talk to the husband, and he's like, yeah, as I was taking my walk around the place, oh, we've got dogs, and I like to take them for walks. As I was taking my walk around the place, I was passing by that rich family's house. Right underneath the window, I heard them talking about some kind of thing. There's apparently some trouble going on with their daughter. I sure hope they get it resolved. And then you go to listen to it, and it turns out the daughter just won't eat yeah (laughs) this kid refuses to eat anything you've heard of picky eaters there's like people who cannot eat anything above a certain threshold of vividness in terms of flavor profile like super sensitive super sensory people Yeah, Yeah. yeah 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 this kid is not like that the kid won't eat period And they can't figure out what to do because this guy who's fabulously wealthy, all the money that he's spent, all the doctors that he's brought in, all the attempts that he's made, nothing is amounting to anything. And this man and this woman are both worried that their daughter's just going to starve to death and there's nothing that they can do about it. She's become weak and listless and they've become unable to communicate with her much less reason with her and it's gotten past the point where not only does she not eat they're now afraid that she can't it's also a strain on their marriage i think oh absolutely like it it is tearing them to pieces it's the one humanizing element that this motherfucker that i hate has so what you end up doing is you end up going in during the day when the dad is out i think and you talk to the mother and she says I don't know what to do. We have tried literally everything we can think of. The only way, like, we've tried giving her everything, and the only thing that I can think to try now is a flavor so strange that we just haven't come across it before, but I don't know what that would even look like. And there's some dialogue in there that says she's heard of a particular spice that is monstrous. So what do you do is you make a monster cake using the monster extract that you can get from the fang and bone which is the special monster store that i don't think we've talked about but uh, that's one of those zelda characters and the kid finally eats the monster cake and she revitalizes and she's like wow that was awful i love it she just like eating monsters and then she starts acting kind of monstrously. And if you talk to her later, she's really rude to you, just like her dad is. And fuck that kid. <laughs> and fuck her dad. And fuck that whole family. I don't like them. Yay. Are you satisfied now? Uh-huh. How about you, Crystal? I'm satisfied. Shall we go to Hyrule Castle? Let's go to Hyrule Castle where the Battle of the Windfish plays for some reason. Why is that? The Battle of the uh, the Ballad of the Windfish is just wo- woven into the main theme of Hyrule Castle alongside Ganondorf's theme, uh, Zelda's lullaby, and a completely original melody that's also very good. Is the Hyrule Castle theme the best music in the game? Ooh. It is one of. Would you say it's the best, Crystal? 
Oh, it's it's top five, easy, easy. Because I mean, there's top top three. Because I mean, there's things like I really like that particular section of Daruk's memory that I used as the opening for the last episode, where it's just the drums. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the battle with the divine beast Varuta. There's the rendition. Uh, there's the song for the Rito village. There's God, pretty much every theme around Hyrule Castle is really great. Like, everything to do with the Dark Beast Ganon. Especially the second phase where they're just going wild on that piano. Uh, While I may not be able to confidently say it has the best music in the game, I will say it is the best area in the game. Certainly the best dungeon in the game. Oh, yeah, that's... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's so far removed from the other dungeons in terms of how you move through it that it's less like a dungeon in the context of this game and more like a proof of concept for what dungeons could be going forward yeah this is this is what like this is how you integrate a dungeon into an open world going back to the music i do really love how there's the louder theme for the outside of the castle and then the quieter theme with zelda's lullaby inside they all have Zelda's hidden. lullaby on them, I think. It's mm-hmm. just they both have Zelda's lullaby, I think. It's just that it comes much more to the forefront in the interior version, which is played on the organ. Okay, it's just much more clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's just hidden. It yes, and it feels so nice. For our listeners, the way that Hyrule Castle works is you walk up to it and you go in. And that's the whole thing. Well, you you could take different routes and there's some mm-hmm. Go ahead. And there's a... Was it a Zora? No. It was a sneaky person who wanted to sneak in for the armor. Sure. Tells you a lot of different methods. They think of them as the Rito method, the Gorin method, and the Zora method. Yeah. Is there a Sheikah method, too, of sneaking in? I don't think so. Okay. There's flying in, there's rafting in. Not rafting, but like swimming. Yeah, from the northern side. And then there's just charging straight at the Guardians. And the Hylian method is just, like, going as directly as possible. Hyrule Castle is very interesting to me because it is the proof of concept for what dungeons could be for the Zelda series going forward. Like Zelda, uh, like, like Crystal, rather, not Zelda, but Crystal, said, this is how dungeons could be incorporated into an open world. You do not have to go through a side quest to reach it. You merely walk into it, and there you are. And this is... A very unique area of the game, and it's unique in how it frames the game. Because the path that we take through Breath of the Wild is unique to each of us. No one's going to have the exact same hero's path when they reach the end of the game. But all of us start in the Shrine of Resurrection, and all of us end here at Hyrule Castle. This is always the ending, even if it is a place that you visit a little earlier. You know what this area reminds me of, actually, is Blue Moon Tower from Dragon's Dogma. Oh, yeah? Which is also a dungeon-like area that is just really, really big and has a lot of, like, caverns and indoor areas as well as outdoor areas that you just walk into from the open world, and you have to go on a journey to get there, and you cannot fast travel. That's pretty sick. It's also Castlevania. Yes. (laughs) It is also Castlevania, that's true. Hyrule Castle here, I think, like, we've touched on how good the music of this area is, but maybe not exactly why. 
One of the things that makes this so affecting, not just because of the composition, is the instrumentation. Because the largest part of the percussion for the Hyrule Castle theme, especially when you're on the exterior of the castle, isn't drums. It's marching boots. Boots which have not walked here in a century. These are the sounds of a past long gone, which you are walking through now as you did before. You are playing out not just a repeat of that one conflict that you lost a hundred years ago. You are hearing the echoes of the footsteps of all the last heroes, the vast and many heroes, who have thrown themselves against Ganon. And it's just a that sound, those that ghostly march is the part of the music that I find most affecting. And the horns. The horns are really <laughs> Did we all just march in through the front door and like start beating up all the guardians and Lionels on the way up? Crystal, what did you do? Uh, well, I did some scouting runs when I was not ready to face Ganon yet, mm-hmm. where I swam, tried to glide over from a big hill mm-hmm. yep. and go into some caverns and see what's inside around the castle. Mm-hmm. But then when I was ready to end the game, I definitely just marched in the front door. <laughs> yeah, that's a big thing. I think that my first time through, I tried to see everything, or as best I could. Like I went down into the depths of the castle's dungeons and i looted everything that i could find there because most of the best equipment is down in the dungeons including the hylian shield i wanted that i didn't want to be carrying anything that would break and subsequent playthroughs i usually took the zora armor and there's a specific path of waterfalls that you can go up and you can get right to the outside of the sanctum yeah, it's organi- easy. huh it's easy so you, you you get through the whole thing without seeing a single enemy. Yes, you can definitely do that. Yeah, it's cool. I like picturing the castle in operation because we really can't get the full picture of it. But just just that there's like a, a, a weird dock area. Yeah. And like secret hot springs and, you know, this whole large jail area. A library that's utterly colossal and has a secret alcove where the king goes to write his diary. How does he push that giant bookcase? He's very large, actually. It's made out of metal. Yeah. Okay. Okay, he just has the footman do it for him. That's not very secret, then. His trusted footman. (laughs) And just the giant halls, that many of which are collapsed, and trying to picture life in this place. The kitchens. The kitchens, the giant dining hall. Like, there's a lot more thought that goes into the layout of this one place than in any previous single building in the entire franchise. Yeah. By a thousand miles. It's, you feel like you're moving through a place that used to exist, but now has become something very different. Something infested with the darkness that changed everything. And it's such a good feeling. It's such an interesting place. And anytime you go through one of the guard towers, there's always the chance that the gates will shut and then a Lionel will drop down from above and you have to fight the Lionel. Yeah. Zelda's room is in one of those towers, right? It is. Just just across from the Sanctum, actually. Like a watchtower. Yes. Or rather, her study is. Well, her study and her room are connected to each other by a little bridge. Mm -hmm. So you can see both and read both of her diaries right quick. And you keep climbing and... 
You go to the very tippy top to get your Korok. Yeah, there's a Korok up there because, of course, there is. He's like, ah, ha, ha. You should go fight Ganon now. <laughs> he doesn't say that, but he should. And from the bell area, you can go down and stand above where Ganon is. And you can stand at some angles and see exactly what's going on in there. And it's very interesting because when you look, the thing that's hanging on the ceiling of the sanctum looks like a purple version of the Shrine of Resurrection, or at least the chamber that Link apparently dropped out of. Yeah, the bulb thing. Yes, the bulb thing. And in you mm. go. Yeah, Ganon's in there, growing. Why is that thing here? It seems like Ganon made itself a chamber of resurrection. and as He made one? It certainly seems that way. Hmm. How did you read it? Maybe it was already here. There was already a chamber of resurrection equivalent in the throne room? Eh, maybe not. <laughs> I think... No, it's very Ganon looking. It is... It's ex- all purpley and... And Ganon, as we will see momentarily, does have, at this point, very intimate control of Sheikah technology. Yes. It seems like, based on conversations that we've had and environmental clues that we get from the chamber of resurrection, that... What happened here was that Ganon built a chamber of resurrection for itself to build itself a new body. And that's what it's been trying to do for 100 years. Restore itself to some terrible form. But that pesky princess is getting in the way. That's exactly... Here's the funny thing about it. Um, When Link and Zelda run from Ganon in the 100 years ago... Ganon doesn't have a form yet. When Zelda returns to the Sanctum with the awakened power of Hylia, I think she sees what's happening there is that Ganon is trying to resurrect itself. And she doesn't have the power to destroy it, but she does have the power to lock it down. And for basically a hundred years, she's been severely slowing how fast Ganon can rebuild itself. So you jump down into the throne room, the and, sanctum. And the this can actually go one of several ways, much in the same way that the whole of Hyrule Castle is different depending on when you approach it. If you have failed to do any of the divine beasts, then the blights from those beasts will now appear to defend their master. So if you haven't done any of them, you got to fight through four bosses before you get to Ganon. But if you've beaten all four, yes, you don't see this room for very long. No, you don't, because Zelda's like, I'm sorry, I can't hold him any longer. And Ganon shoots his way out of the big placenta with some lasers. Wait, the blights happened before this? Yes. Oh, man. See, I've literally never seen this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the blights are dead, and Ganon shoots his way out with lasers, and the... Like, it drops onto the floor, and you can't really see it because it's still covered in goop, and it's got way too many limbs. And then the floor breaks, and down you drop into the magic jar. All the way through the castle into a secret, like... Way below. Observatory. This must have been where Ganon was contained. Yes, I'm thinking... With, like, a billion guardians. I'm not thinking that the guardians were even necessarily down here. This is just the Ganon chamber. Literally, the magic jar that the castle is like the stopper on top of. I think the guardians might have been there. And that, Unless you think they were inside of the claw things and like popped out like screws. Sure, why not? <laughs> claw things, God. 
I said claw things specifically to make you say claw things god. Well, you you know me very well. Crystal, how would you- Claw things god? <laughs> yes. I'm sorry, what were you saying? The claw things god? I, I said the claw things, comma, god. Oh. Because that is a reference to how Monica referred to them as the claw things, and it took me like three repetitions. Crystal did too. Yes, I know. Crystal picked up on it. I didn't. I'm saying that it took like three repetitions for me to get what the fuck you two were talking about. Even though it's completely clear. And the only... No! <laughs> and the only reason you're saying claw things now is to reference my confusion. Uh-huh. And that's what that was about, Crystal. Crystal, mm-hmm. can you describe the Calamity Ganon? The Calamity Ganon looks like a zombie Ganondorf. Was, it's just its body is just made of purple malice goo, but it has a face with big orange eyeballs and a big red beard and mane. He's got a big bushy and beard. the little jewel that Ganondorf wears on its forehead. Yeah, and it also has like uh, way too many limbs. It's a spider. It's like a spider Ganon, but scarier. You forgot how many limbs Gerudo is supposed to have. <laughs> Clearly. Um, this, I think, is the version of Ganon that it began to cobble together once it realized that Zelda would not let it rebuild its own body. You think it was trying to become Gerudo again? Not necessarily, but I do think it was trying to rebuild something and that Zelda stopped that something from being built. And that what you are fighting now is a construct that is very far removed from what it would have been if Zelda had not been there. Mm. It just grabbed the laser off of a guardian and stuck it to itself. Yes, absolutely. It is, and Zelda talks about this too, it was still in the process of building itself. This is like stage one of several stages that it wanted to go through before it would have been fully resurrected. Or as this game puts it, reincarnated. The Hyrule Compendium entry says, The source of the darkness that has appeared time and again throughout Hyrule's history. It's been called many names, from Great King of Evil to Calamity. Hibernating within a cocoon, it attempted to regenerate a physical form after Link awoke, but was forced to confront him in an incomplete state. And that's from the Compendium? Yes. Damn! Good job. Good job, Compendium. This first stage of the fight is... Interesting. Link drops down into the magic jar, and if the Master Sword has run out of power, it recharges, because in the face of Ganon, it wakes the fuck up. That's good. It, it can't is. break through this fight. It can. It can? It super oh, can. shoot. It's not good. It can happen. No. But the arena has constantly regenerating weapon spawn pickup points. Cool. That So it's impossible to completely run out of weapons during this, which is good. So Ganon... You fight Ganon, and he uh, it has combined powers from all the Blights, and it has attacks from the different Guardian types. And in some ways, it's a pretty fun, cool fight. But some... Actually, I'm skipping something. Similar to how the sequence before Ganon pops out can differ, so too can the sequence after Ganon pops out can differ. Yeah. If you have not completed any of the Divine Beasts, you jump right into fighting Ganon. But for every divine beast that you freed and every champion that you rescued, one of them will shoot Ganon, and each of them takes off an eighth of its health. So they, at their perfect signal, 
They all fire simultaneously with just ridiculous accuracy, shooting in through these tiny windows on the sides of the towers. It does a 90 degree. Yeah, and then they all plunge straight down as like a storm that just smashes on top of Ganon. And if you've got all the Divine Beasts, it takes off half of Ganon's health. And that doesn't scale according to how far into the game you've gotten. You free the Divine Beasts, and the final battle is just easier. Yep. So if you want to just roll over Ganon's face, do that. Crystal, what did you think of how that worked? I think there's an issue in the presentation. I think it would feel better if the Calamity Ganon had the same amount of HP, but represented in five health bars. And each d- Divine Beast took off one. Oh, interesting. So that you're thinking be better. So, but you thought that it would be better if, like, are you saying that that one health bar would be the same as five health bars if you did not do all the divine beasts? Yes. Okay. So the actual, so the divine beasts don't actually do anything. Right. I'd have to. Th- no, 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 no. What I'm saying is he'd have the same amount of HP as in the actual game. But you're you're saying that it feels and looks more significant if when a divine beast fired it took off an entire health bar yes yes and add duplicate that four times but no matter what he always has eight as we'll say eight thousand hp same as yeah yeah okay so regardless of whether he gets blasted by the divine beast or not you would rather him be always the same difficulty no 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 (laughs) If he if you don't get any divine beasts, he has fifty thousand HP. Oh. If you get all of them, he has ten thousand. Oh, okay. So you're saying they better make it into a real incentive. Yes. A speedrunner's nightmare. I think what Crystal means too is also that Ganon might as well have fifty thousand at the start of this as portrayed in Breath of the Wild and gets to ten thousand, but it's just the nature of seeing one bar cut in half is not as good feeling as Five health bars whittled down to one health. So bar. it's not that you don't want the divine beast to do any to do nothing. You want them to do actually a ton more. I want them to do the same amount but present it differently. <laughs> it looks to make it look nicer. Because right now the four of them together only cut off half. I yeah. I, I really like that idea that you presented where we go from ten from fifty thousand to ten thousand. Where ten thousand is a ton in this game. Just to be clear, the strongest Lionel in the game in Master Mode only has uh, eight thousand, seven thousand five hundred. But the idea that he goes from fifty to ten—that's dope. I like that. I and it would make beating Ganon without doing the Divine Beast feel way heavier. Yeah. And nightmarish. Okay. Yeah. There are definitely ways that I think this sequence could have been improved, and I think that would be a really cool one. But it's still a pretty fun fight. And and the scene where they shoot Ganon is still pretty hype. So you beat up Ganon, and then halfway through, he just pulls out his invincibility. Yeah, he's like, you know what? I'm Ganon, and uh, I have a thing throughout all of these adventures. You weren't here for those, but I've done them. Where I can't really be hit unless I'm stunned first. So I'm just going to do that now. Fuck you. And at that point... um. And this is the part where the game has the second check to see whether or not you know how the battle system works. Because the only way to make Ganon vulnerable here is by either parrying the Guardian laser or one of various other attacks that it uses, or doing a perfect dodge into a flurry rush. Those are the only ways to damage the damn thing. This presented a problem for some players. Well, hopefully they have Daruk's 
shield thingy. Yes, that is an easy way to do that. And then you beat Ganon again. And it crumbles into smoke. Malice. Malice. Pure dust. malice. The real the real shit. And is carried out of the furnace. And Link is like, damn it. And actually this part, like, I understood this. Link is carried up in a golden light, and that's Zelda. Zelda done it. But this part made me pause and made me look back at the divine beasts and each time with a divine beast he's, he's also, also lifted by golden. golden light yeah who's doing that either the champions or zelda i mean the divine beasts also themselves seem to run on hylia's power okay it's all blue or gold or gold yeah it's not warping it's gold it's just it's magic that is distinct from the technology of the sheikah so then you're warped out onto the what are you looking for the lines that i wrote down then you're warped out onto the field where the malice has started to manifest into what they were going for here is a version of the beast ganon that is the size of a divine beast that's pretty cool yeah and there's an interview in making of a champion where they talk about how they wanted to make the biggest ganon ever and they sure did (laughs) He big. Quite big. Big chunky boy. Yeah. And it's a giant pig? Yeah, it's a big old boar, as is boar. Yeah, yeah. As is the thing. A boar that shoots lasers. Out of its mouth and kind of turns around a little bit. Not a very dynamic fight, but this is a victory lap. Can you imagine like looking across Hyrule and just seeing this giant glowing That's red. shooting lasers at this guy running around his feet? You can't see the guy. No. You just see a giant boar stomping through the field. It's like, oh, fuck. Yeah, imagine that you're standing on Death Mountain and you look up at Va Rudania and you're like, yeah, that stopped moving. And then you look down at Hyrule Castle and you're like, wait, what? That's- this is what Embor from Pokemon should have looked like. What? Do you think? Yes. All right. So, Monica, why did you write down these particular lines? I think they're important to, to discuss. Okay. So let's wh- read them out. What does Zelda tell us? Ganon was born out of a dark past. I think I skipped the four, the advanced lines. The advanced lines are just her saying Ganon. Ganon. Sure. Ganon. Ganon was born out of a dark past. He is a pure embodiment of the ancient evil that is reborn time and time again. He has given up on reincarnation and assumed his pure enraged form. I could slap myself <laughs> over this treehouse translation of this particular line. It's not great. It has led... To so many textual misunderstandings of what's going on in this sequence. Crystal, how do you read the line, he has given up on reincarnation? Oh, he's not trying to make a body anymore. He's just malice boy. Yeah, that makes sense. Is that how you always read that line? No, it is not. That is how I read that line after I read the Hyrule Compendium. I see. So, how did you read that line before? Well, before it kind of sounds like he will no longer reincarnate after you kill this one. Like, this is the final Ganon ever. Right. And a he, lot of people... He, he's in the Avatar state. He's in the Avatar state, a yes. A lot of people read it that way. So many people read it that way. But friends, listeners, that's not really how it's meant. The English translation is, of course, its own canon. But it does need to be mentioned that the other language versions aren't quite saying the same thing. It's more along the lines that he is giving up on this specific incarnation. Like, he's just, 
given up on this cycle this trying to be something more than a beast he's trying he's given up on trying to rebuild himself yes and he's just if, taking on the monster the real monster that was always in there if i was a treehouse translator i would probably write it something like he has given up on his physical form and assumed his pure enraged form. yeah something like that you could work the, com- the hyrule compendium describes dark beast ganon like this after ganon was defeated by link the remaining malice pulled itself together to form this bestial creature. Its appearance and fiendish magic earned it the name of Dark Beast. This form is considered to be Ganon's original, although in this state, his awareness has been consumed entirely by malice, and all he knows is a desire to rampage and destroy. It is the anger and bloodlust and greed and, and hunger and hunger. That is Ganon. Crystal, for our listeners, what is the Hyrule Compendium? The Hyrule Compendium is when you take pictures of something, it goes into your little iPad into the Hyrule Compendium. <laughs> okay. And each picture has a little description attached to it. The, the fun thing is I, and I didn't miss a single Wind Waker one. Right. I could not bother to take photos of all of these things you do in the heat of the moment you get the option to buy them yeah you can just buy them and they're much better photos so just yeah all right i feel like i would just in the next run not take any photos and then buy every single one makes sense but you the the reading that we as a group endorse is that this ganon is not killed forever when you defeat him he will come back regardless Yes. Crystal? Yes. I, I agree. I. It's not giving up on the reincarnation cycle. As soon as you say reincarnation, people will think of the cycle. It was sloppily handled. Yeah. Treehouse. Treehouse. But regardless, uh, a horse appears in front <laughs> of you. And it's usually the horse that you've spent the most time riding. But if you haven't caught a horse, it's actually Link's horse from 100 years ago. Good job. Or at least a horse that has the same model. Yeah, with the dark dark coat, but the light, the white hoof parts. And if I remember what Zelda says here, Monica didn't write down the whole thing. But what she says here is something that's similar to, you may not have recovered all of your memories or all of your strength. Let's see, what is the line that she says about courage? Right there. But courage need not be remembered, for it is never forgotten. Yeah! I wrote down the important part. It's such a good line. It's such a good line, and with the music swelling up in that exact moment. My favorite thing about this sequence musically, Crystal, is Mm -hmm. that the appearance of Dark Beast Ganon ends with like a piano rendition of the main theme from Breath of the Wild. And where you expect the single note drop, you know, the one at the end of the original, like, uh, really exciting trailer, you know, that one note drop, bung. Instead, that's the first note of the battle theme for the Dark Beast. Oh. And it's something that took me a couple of re-listens to pick up. But I think that if it weren't for Hyrule Castle and Terrytown and a couple of others, I would say that Dark Beast Ganon, across all of its movements, has the best music in the game. It's strong contender. It's a strong contender. I love battle themes that incorporate the main themes of the game that they're in. You do. Oh, they're so good. And whoever's playing that piano is going well and truly buck wild <laughs> on it. 
Like, did they did they do that in the orchestral version, the CD? They didn't reproduce it perfectly, but yes, they did go buck wild. That was pretty zany. Uh, regardless, Zelda says that as Ganon is now, nothing that Link has can actually hurt it. She gave him the bow of light. That can't do dick. Master Sword, useless. Ancient arrows won't even scratch him. So what she's going to do is use her power to create vulnerabilities in Ganon. This is where you realize Zelda is inside Ganon. Yes. And when you see those vulnerabilities, strike them with the light arrows. Though the light arrows are not actually the only thing that can harm these points. You can also use ancient arrows or the projectile from the Master Sword. Oh, I didn't know that part. You sure can. Isn't that interesting? Hmm. You can also use the Bow of Light from Twilight Princess. The Bow of Light from Twilight Princess will serve the same purpose if you have that amiibo. And after you defeat all of these, uh, Ganon's health is basically down to nothing, and it charges up a really big laser blast. His head opens up and his eyes. Its back splits, and a forest of eyes look out of its hump. Uh. And you, there's this huge updraft, and you have to fly above it and fire an arrow directly into its core. The Master Sword won't work for this part. And when you do that, it ends. And I feel like I need to talk about this next bit for just a moment, because so much about this sequence is leading into the idea that perhaps Zelda is dead. In spite of what characters insist to you, the evidence of your eyes and your experiences tells you that Zelda is in much the same situation as the Divine Beasts, or sorry, the Divine Champions. Mipha set this expectation that in spite of how your expectations go and how much you might want to be reunited with these characters, you are still moving through a world of ghosts. And your failures can't be wiped away. They can't be rewritten. You, Link, have still failed these people, and they didn't stop being failed. They didn't stop being dead just because you tried to make it right. And Zelda doesn't exist physically at this point. She hasn't existed physically for a hundred years. If anyone was set up to be a ghost in this final battle, it was most certainly her. As I was moving through the game, I was preparing myself for two real possibilities. Uh, well, three, but two that were much more negative. One was that you would reach Zelda and she would just be very old. That she had been there standing physically, keeping it pinned for a hundred years. And the other, of course, that she like the Divine Champions, at the end would reveal herself as a ghost, and that the chapter would end with the final monument to your personal failures. And I, I wanted to ask you two real quick, um, what did you expect out of this going into the final battle? Crystal? I also thought that Zelda would... No. I thought Zelda would, would be dead. She would die after she appeared to you she would just like collapse into dust there's a very good um fan art of that there is um fan comic and what about you monica no zelda's fine <laughs> right it would get in, get in the way of your ship um, no no it's not, not just that but like okay she's not gonna be dead there's this whole bloodline thing and nintendo's gonna be damned if they break up the bloodline <laughs> Oh, but what if they did? What if they did? Yeah, but they're not. Going what if to... that was the end? <laughs> like, yeah. What if Ganon really was gone, 
and so was the bloodline and they're like series over nintendo wants his buckets of money it's not ending this series all right okay and then um they're never gonna have an old zelda so you're telling me that your entire engagement with this story and your expectations was strictly metatextual uh, oh that's not i very, knew zelda was gonna be fine that's not very fun is everybody it? tells you zelda's fine i guess i would have been very very surprised all right well but regardless sorry. the game does sort of set up this possibility space where your failures extend to the princess because you did fail to protect her but that's not what the game says because when you get down to it in spite of how much you've played as Link, all the dozens or hundreds of hours you've put into the game, as much as you think of this as Link's story, it's not. You're playing the very last segment of what is ultimately Zelda's story. And it's not your failures that really have to be corrected, it's hers. So when Zelda appears... She pops out. <laughs> so when Zelda appears, it is in the flesh. And she has all the power. And she still has the full Triforce. She hasn't. The power that Zelda exhibits here is the most power of anyone in the whole series. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, the Calamity looks at Zelda as she's standing there and she looks back at it and it just abandons its physical form completely. And it transforms into its more pure, smoky state and turns back on her. And she throws out the power. And it doesn't just manifest like a golden light. The full fucking Triforce comes out, and it's the size of a house. And Ganon tries to get away from the annihilating light and just can't make it. It does a little singularity, like, black hole thing. Yeah, it's like the light swallows up Ganon and then collapses into a dot the size of my fist. Pinprick. That just winks out of existence. And then you get the defeat Ganon complete. That's so nice. There's so much about the framing of this that works so nicely. Just the way that Zelda spends the entire sequence. She never looks over at Link the entire time her eyes are locked on Ganon. Because what you did as the player, you didn't defeat Ganon. What you did is you broke the stalemate between Ganon and Zelda so that she could bring the real weapon to bear against it. And she uses the Triforce to wish Ganon away. I can understand why people would assume that Ganon is dead forever in Breath of the Wild. Because this is as dead as Ganon has ever it's been. It's pretty final looking. Yeah, uh, I don't think we've ever had Ganon actually like canonically shot with a Triforce blast before. But it happened here. Zelda makes a sun and collapses the sun into a black hole. <laughs> And then disintegrates the black hole into nothing. Science! Yeah, that does happen. Um, actually, this is so intense that there are people, and I've spoken to some of them, that insist that what happens here is just, like, metaphorical, and Zelda does not actually have the full Triforce. What? No. Nah. Because if she had the full Triforce, then Ganon really would be gone forever, and there wouldn't be any more story. There are still... People, a lot of them fan artists, who think of Breath of the Wild as a game where Link has the Triforce of Courage, Zelda the Triforce of Wisdom, and Ganon the Triforce of Power. As if... A lot, <laughs> a lot of people grew up in Ocarina, yeah. yeah. And Twilight Princess. But no, Zelda has all three. All of them. 
and she uses all of them. And the question in that case becomes, why didn't she use them before this moment to bash Ganon away? Is it simply that Ganon had to be weakened to a certain point before it was even vulnerable? Is the expression of the wish of her heart not enough to destroy Ganon until its grip has been weakened? This is the Einstein watching the eclipse of the accursed timeline theory. Yeah. Because actually the mechanics of Ganon making a wish on the Triforce and the Triforce bringing him back is one of the few elegant ways to explain this. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's simply that Ganon must be brought down to a point where the Triforce is able to destroy him, though not permanently. It can never destroy him permanently. Instead, but this is about as close as you get. Yes. Instead, the Triforce becomes the muscle behind an expression of Hylia's power. And so Ganon's completely annihilated, as best Ganon can be at this point. And it ends. And Zelda and Link, they have them a little conversation. And Zelda asks Link if he really remembers her. And that's a good, that's a good moment to end that on. Yeah. But, you know, if this is the Link that arrived in... Two days or less. No. <laughs> that motherfucker don't remember nothing. Yeah, but I think she will forgive him. Yeah. She's like, wow, you did really good. <laughs> How did you use that tree to propel yourself? Physics. Yeah, what What the heck? And and you jumped on that Pacoblin and you just shot like, like a <laughs> kilometer. <laughs> Lord. Sure. But um, yeah, you're not given an answer. And then Zelda and Link walk away from the ruins of Hyrule Castle, which looks much nicer with all the malice gone, mm-hmm. as the ghosts of those who were also tied to the battle watch and then move on to the next life. Yeah, the the champions blip off, and then the king... Hey, fuck wrong! <laughs> One last, yeah, hurrah, and blips out. Rome, Bosphoramus, Hyrule don't belong in that picture. He stays the longest. He does. What's up with that? The champions felt awkward. They were like, oh, guy, I'm out of here. And just flower petals of the Silent Princess blow through. Yeah, there's a lot of Silent Princesses here because, again, this is Zelda's story, so her flower just starts, like, blossoming. But then there's the additional ending. If you get all the memories. After the credits. Yeah. And Zelda's back into her traveling clothes. And the horses are nearby. And they, she says, we've got some problems with Varuta, so we should probably go examine that. And we can talk to Mifa's father about what happened to her. Yeah. This is really interesting. But just like this continuation. She just, pick, continuation. she just picks up right where she left off. Yeah. But no, I mean, like the game allowing us to see that there is more work to be done is interesting. Yes. And Zelda also mentions that in the wake of the battle... She can no longer hear the spirits, and she seems to have lost all connection to the power. But she's also sure that Ganon will return, regardless. Did she say that? Yeah. I don't think I caught that. All right, well, let's check. (laughs) No. No, she says that they should speak to Mifa's father and explain what happened to her. Or, you know, more, tell him more about her. And she She says Ganon is gone for now. For now. Mm. Okay. Yeah, for now is pretty... Yeah, that is... Thank you. Yeah, that's Thank an... you, Crystal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's about to turn into an argument. All right. 
But also the implication is that Ganon will not return in her lifetime. Yeah. I should hope not. (laughs) Because she's talking about, look, if we work together, really work together, then I believe that we can restore Hyrule to its former glory or even beyond it. And she remarks that she she can no longer hear the voice of the sword. Is it just the voice in the sword? Uh Uh-huh. Oh, okay. But she's okay with it. She knows that she may have weakened in that hundred years. Or her divine powers might have. But that's okay. She's come to terms with that. This is very much a, like, very opposite version of how the endings of these games usually go. Because in most of these games, you have a confrontation that involves three individuals who are at the very height of their powers. But in this game, everyone is far removed from the heights of their powers. Oh, I'm spotting now, too, that all of the towers and so on have shut off. Yes. That's nice. And I, I just like the way that that works thematically. In that, like, in Link to the Past, you face Ganon with a full Triforce, and you've got all your bullshit with the seven maidens behind you, and also Zelda, and you've got a big fight, and it's like everyone's at the height of their strength. But in this game, like, Link never recovers his full strength. Ganon has been kept from recovering for a century, and Zelda's utterly exhausted from keeping Ganon from uh, getting more powerful than he is now. So it's like everyone comes into this just completely gassed. (laughs) They're tired. They're tired. But, you know, Zelda reaching the point where she's accepted herself, that's a nice point. And there's silent princesses everywhere, and... That's the end. Music swells and the end. The end. It's Uh, nice. There's a lot of room for building what might happen afterwards. I know that this wasn't a perfectly received ending at the time, but like with the benefit of distance, I like it quite a lot. People always want to know more. You like it okay, Crystal? This is good. Yeah. I like the Dark Beast Ganon fight. Yeah. Yeah. It's very different, and it's not especially difficult, but it's it's got a lot going on. I I would want to for people who are not happy with the ending. I'd want them to think back if they lived it to the ending of Ocarina of Time, which told you nothing. It's true. <laughs> there was a party, and then wait, Link is returning to Zelda, or is that the first time? And then it ends. Yeah, this is Monica's big concern. No, that's not my big concern. I'm just saying, like. That, that was just like, what the hell did that mean? Well, I mean, like, people, the... can, people can dislike the ending here for different reasons. Yeah. A lot of people don't like how easy the Calamity Ganon is as a thing. The way that the game adheres so much mechanically to the lack of scaling. The way that progress only makes the ending easier. Yeah, but no, I just mean like strange endings that don't tell you everything that you want to know. This tells you a lot. But the point is, I think it hits some good emotional beats Mm. for me. Anyway, that's the end of Breath of the Wild. Oh, we did it. We have reached the end of the franchise. (gasps) What the hell do we do? Yeah, we did them all. (laughs) We done all 19 canonical games and some non-canon ones. We done dude it. Wow. That's a a lot of Zelda. We need at least one, one week as a break to breathe. Before we do the, like, list episode? Lists and the timeline. Yeah, the list episode, then a timeline episode, I guess. Sure. Crystal, do we want to take any questions, or do you think that this episode's long enough? Let's take a couple. Let's take an email or two. All right. Let's make some Twitter questions. Cool. 
This is the point where I say that they decided on Link's Awakening Switch is graphics version because they were planning the Switch VR and that I posit that Link's Awakening Switch will have Switch VR so you will look into this little toy set that you're playing. That's that's a really cool idea, actually. Better be. We got lots of new emails. That's what I like to oh, see. Oh, we actually super, we super did. I think that the list, ep- we might have to do a mailbag episode and, oh, then, that's great. and then a list episode. In case our listeners are wondering, the place that you can send emails is the podcast email address, bookofmedorapodcast at gmail.com. That's bookofmedorapodcast at gmail.com. We have a very special person writing in on this episode. <laughs> yeah, we sure do. It's Rauru, the Sage of Light. Oh. The, the email title is also Rauru, oh, that's and a... they've emailed us twice. Oh, oh, their their Gmail picture is Rauru. This is strong. Okay. Rauru writes in, Where is Rauru in all the Zelda games, and what is his significance? Is he actually Hylia, or is he something else, like one of the mask makers from Majora's Mask? Also, do you think Sheik should come back in future Zelda games? And one more question. Should they make a game about Rauru and or make him a Smash character? That would be sick. Oh, and one more thing. Should Z-Link be officially oh, canon? Uh-huh. And another email, Rauru continues. Can you point out his reincarnation in each canon Zelda game? Also, what do you think about a wolf divine beast for Link instead of the Master Cycle? What do you think of this? I love that Rauru Sage of Light, in his profound sagacity... Included that Z-Link shit to get Monica on board with this email. Yeah. That's 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 some power. That's why he's the king. That's why he built the Temple of Time with his huge manly arms. I, I like the Gmail suggested answers, which are, yeah, I can do that. Yes and yes. And no, I can't. Those are good Gmail suggested answers. Um, so it is, it is an accepted Book of Medora practice that we conflate Rauru with the king of Hyrule. We do. Okay, so all the Raurus are uh, Gepora. That is Zelda's father in Skyward Sword. Rauru. Gepora Gebora. And then Gepora Gabora again. Uh, Daphnis Nohansen, the king from Zelda 2. Yeah. He- the king from A Link to the Past. Yeah. The king from Ocarina of Time. Yeah, that was an interesting one because that game had two Raurus. King Daltus and King Gustav from the Minish Cap. Mm-hmm. Yep. And Rome Bosphoramus. There was also... There were seven sages in A Link Between Worlds, so arguably one of those is Raru. And there's also the ancient sages from Twilight Princess, where mm-hmm. I think the ancient sage of light is also Raru in like a spiritual form. Yes. That's true, that's true. So I think that's all the canonical incarnations of Rauru. Is Shalashaska a Rauru? Um, he's much closer to being a Rauru than the Maiden of Light is. You could say that mm-hmm. both of them are Rarus. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Sala, Sahara, Salashaska. S. S. Man. He is also a Raru, and his descendant maiden is also a Raru. But also, the background wise man was definitely canonically Raru. And also, the the random owl that might not be Kapora Gabora in Majora's Mask. 
Oh, I, I when I said Kapora Gabora again, oh, okay. I meant that one. Okay. Is also. Yeah, that's... No, that Kapora Gabora is the goddess of time. <laughs> Let's not do this. <laughs> All right. I'll... I'll, 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 I'll I'll back off on that one. That one's the goddess of time, but the other Gapora Gabor is definitely Raru. Who who is uh uh Gapora's like second in command? What's his name? Oh the guy who looks evil. Oh uh but isn't. I'm sorry, which? The the one who looks evil, he has white hair. Okay. Th- He's like a like a rude face. There's like uh it's Owl something? Owlin? Owl Oh, there's two of the yeah. professors. Owlin's the nice one though, right? Let's see. Yeah, Alan looks scary, but he's actually nice. Yeah, I think Alan Alan looks a lot like Osfala from A Link Between Worlds, who's the apprentice the apprentice of Shalashaska. So I think actually Shalashaska is from Alan's line. Oh, okay. You know what? That sounds canon to me. <laughs> Would Raru in Smash Brothers be sick? I don't think Raru would be a great Smash Brothers character, honestly. I would like to get another, like, unique Zelda character in Smash, because we haven't had one since Melee. Yeah, you know who they should put in Smash? Ganon? Ganon. That's a good one. They should also replace Sheik with Impa. Just, that's that's me, I think that. Yeah. Raru's down B is, he'll pierce your ears. Oh. He changes your clothes for you. He, it's like a command grab, and when he throws you, you're wearing the hero's tunic. Sure. Or is Rauru actually Hylia? Wait, no, no. The, his final smash is he builds the Temple of Time. Oh, like yes. <laughs> <laughs> he just closes the door on you. <laughs> Fuck. Okay. Um, is he actually Hylia or possibly one of the mask makers from Majora's Mask? I think that the official position of this podcast is that Raru either is or is directly descended from... Actually, no, that doesn't quite work. But what I was going to say, either is or is directly descended from Gabora, um, Zelda's father in Skyward Sword. Yeah. Because those are the same character. Mm-hmm. The only problem with that is that the symbol of the Sage of Light predates Gaborah by thousands of years. That's true. So, um, he's a very early acolyte of Hylia, regardless of how you read it, and he's either really ancient or double really ancient. Do you think it was like Zelda, the reincarnation of Hylia, was born to just somebody who was very priestly yeah. of the faith? Yeah. Who is, uh, uh, gosh, Styla's dad? Oh, St- Styla? Oh, no, hold on. That's the king of all cosmos. Yeah, her- <laughs> yeah, the daughter of King Tuft is who I'm thinking of. The king of all cosmos. Yes, it is King Tuft. Why were you asking about King Tuft? Is King Tuft around? No. <laughs> I- is King Tuft, as as Zelda is descended from Hylia, oh, fuck. is Rauru descended from King Tuft? Oh, thank you for not doing that. Um... I reject this entire idea of Triforce heroes being about the spirits of good, but if we were going to assume that that's true, then yes, absolutely. Raru is either descended from or is actually King Tuft. Next question. Well, also, how would we feel about a wolf divine beast instead of a motorcycle? Like, if the cycle was shaped like a wolf? Which they did consider, apparently. What if it was like a robot wolf with legs? Oh. And it could, like, attack things as you ran toward them. That's pretty cool. I think that would actually be cooler than a motorcycle. 
But the motorcycle is shaped like a unicorn. It is. That's not very in keeping with Lynx. That's pretty cool, though. Yeah, it's pretty cool. This this Link has a connection to horses. Twilight Princess Link had a connection to wolves. Link to the Past Link has a connection to bunnies. Ocarina of Time Link also had a connection to horses, I guess. Or chickens? Chickens. <laughs> anyway, thank you, Raru Sage of Light. I'm <laughs> not taking back the rude things I said, but this was a good email. Do you think Sheik... I am surprised that Sheik has not returned in a canonical Zelda game, considering how enduringly popular they are. I think that a big part of Sheik's enduring popularity comes down to two major factors. One, um, our generation of Zelda fans who cut our eye teeth on Ocarina of Time. And two, um, that same thing, but filtered through for fan artists and fanficers who have never let that character go. Yeah. Well, no, the other thing is um, uh, Smash. 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 Is Sheik a good character in Smash? Uh, now yeah most of the time yes they're considered a little bit weaker in smash ultimate i think okay they lack kill power and z-link is already canon so not should oh good (laughs) thanks let's do one more email you got it boss jacob writes in dear crystal monica and cameron what's up with the coliseum the presence of blood sports is as far as i know unique for a zelda game and feels out of place given how pre-Calamity Hyrule is seemingly depicted as a paradise. What kind of shit were they getting up to in there? What is it about this version of Hyrule that makes them build a Colosseum at all? Thanks for all your hard work on the show. I've really enjoyed the Breath of the Wild episode so far. Yay. Yay. Well, we don't really know when the Colosseum was built or when it was used. Because all of the ruins are very ruinous. <laughs> But there's, you know, the, the hundred year ruins and then there's anything from 10,000 years or sooner. Sure. Or even earlier than the 10,000 years, I guess. Like the seven heroines. Or, yeah, the Pylia statues. Yeah. So we can't tell. There's sort of a mini Colosseum thing in Twilight Princess, like a little amphitheater. There is that amphitheater uh, at the... Shit. You know, the fourth dungeon with the spinner. Oh, Arbiter's Grounds. Yeah, there's an amphitheater on the Arbiter's Grounds. I was just thinking on the actual, like, Hyrule Field, there's a little oh. theatri- theatrical area, Oh, yes, too. yes, yes, yes. So, for all we know, the Colosseum thing was just meant for plays. What's your take, Crystal? I think in a world where you can heal grievous bodily injuries by eating a really good chicken, <laughs> there actually is some room for ethical blood sport. My, the- my theory is that it's probably... Uh, a ruin that is of the, oh, I forgot their name, the barbarian people. Zonai. Zonai, thank you. The warrior people. So they would practice and advertise their fighting prowess there. I like Crystal's idea regarding the idea of ethical blood sport because there are many ways to keep yourself from dying and completely and fully recovering from grievous bodily harm Mm -hmm. in the Zelda series and it exists textually in this game but I also like your idea that the theater wasn't necessarily used just for blood sport like it could have been used for reenacting naval battles (laughs) or like just putting on concerts or whatever you know yeah so what about a zonai thing or it could have been used for sumo matches. Sure. There's all kinds of ways that like this could work in the world without it being indicative of a deep cultural malaise, I think. It could be the Arbiter's Grounds. 
It could be the Arbiter's Grounds. That would be a little weird. Uh, we're not going to get into the forbidden art of geography here, but it would be strange. But there is a concrete Arbiter's Grounds area. You're in right. The wild. There is. There is. So it got airlifted. <laughs> what? Yeah. The, the Colosseum is purely for the fine art of spinners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get to ride on the inside and the outside. Yeah. Oh, that'd be great. That's the only time spinners are good. You know, one of the hot takes that I got when I put up my hot take post was that um, the spinner is the worst Zelda item. Whoa. <laughs> got burned by that one, Crystal. Why would you even say that? I assume because somebody asked for a hot take and you've been keeping that one in your pocket. Mm. There's a lot of Zelda items. I can't remember who said it, though. Also, it may not have been said there. Who can say? I know that I read it from someone. And thank you for the email, Jacob. That was inspiriting. Yes. Thank you. Is, thank you, Jacob. Is there a Twitter question to answer? Did we already do this one? I feel like we've answered this particular question, yes. Okay, we don't have to do that one. So we're good for now? Yeah. Yeah, we're caught up. We're all caught up. On Twitter, caught up. On Twitter questions. <laughs> on Twitter questions. Hmm. Just looking up Zelda jokes. So what are our plans going forward? We need to do a mailbag episode. Mailbag episode? Yeah, I think that would be a good place to go. We should ask everybody to submit lists they want us to to talk about yeah i'll put up a uh i'll put up a twitter thing i have almost as many followers as you now so i I, i'll probably get some engagement um i'll put up a call for lists that we can make for our list episode like top five best blah and we could do you want to discuss miscellaneous Zelda games like zelda game watch and zelda game and watch which are different that'll be a short episode but yeah i think that would be a lot of fun you want to discuss the Tingle games? Those should definitely go in that episode, yes. So we've got the idea for a mailbag episode. Actually, if we're doing all these, we may not need the mailbag episode, but we'll go for it anyway. There's the mailbag episode, the list episode, the miscellany episode, and the timeline. Dun-dun-dun. Yeah. Does that sound like a reasonable lineup there, Crystal? I think we could maybe split the timeline into two episodes even. One which is us verbally deliberating on certain points of disagreement and one that is a nice polished final presentation yes all right split timeline you say oh that's the joke yeah i got it oh oh good that's not the joke though. crystal's still looking <laughs> i found one okay so we're looking at two timeline episodes and three other episodes potentially if anyone has other episodes they like us to do Send in an email to bookofmedorapodcast at gmail.com with the tagline or subject line episode ideas. And I'm not going to make any promises regarding whether or not we'll actually do them, but I'll definitely read all of it and we'll consider it. They can also tweet at you too. Yeah. Crystal, where are you online? Oh, you can find me at arcanecrystal on twitter.com. You can find me at patreon.com slash arcanecrystal. If you throw in $2 a month, you can listen to some podcasts early. In the $10 here, you can have your name shouted out as a special super patron, like Audrey Burke. Yeah, Audrey. Yeah, Audrey. Yeah, Audrey. Audrey's a great name. Oh, this is this would be the best place to mention. You can find me on Twitter at camwriter. This joke comes in from tapatalk.com slash groups slash Triforce of Power slash Zelda dash jokes dash 
t136.html. Fuck. Post by Mr. K from June 28th, 2004. Here are some Zelda jokes I found on zeldauniverse.net. Why do Goron divorce lawyers make so much money? Why? Everyone's relationship is on the rocks. Yeah! Oh. Alright. Alright, I gotta go lie down. Alright, goodbye everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.